If you'd like to support the show in a way other than just listening, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the flight diary for more information. This episode of the flight diary is brought to you by wander disc golf, a brand that's bred from passion for the sport and all of the beautiful places it can take us. Wander has a wide variety of thoughtful apparel rooted in disc golf and an advocacy for mental health. Find them at at WanderDiscGolf on Instagram and shop at WanderDiscGolf.com. You're listening to The Flight Diary, an intimate collection of stories, theories, and thoughts from the world of professional disc golf. I'm your host, Brian Earhart. In a world where a lot of the best professional players are starting to lessen the quantity of events played per year in favor of quality, Andrew Presnell continues to grind his way across the country year after year. Despite the little rest he gets during his lengthy tours, his passion for competition remains the fuel that keeps him going. I had a wonderful conversation with him, and I hope you enjoy learning more about him and where he comes from as much as I did. My hometown of Ozark isn't really anything different than any other city other than maybe the size. I think we're at 21,000 in population. So it's not like some small hick town with, you know, 64 people or something. I mean, it's, we got everything you need in a, in a town. And, you know, I, growing up, I never felt like I was secluded um, because we have Branton, which is about. 15 minutes south of me and then we have Springfield which is about 15 minutes north of me and Springfield right now has a quarter million people so I mean we we have you know people and big cities and I don't know it it's uh it's not like I'm sure when people hear that I'm from Ozark they're like oh that Netflix show uh, oh and then yeah you, yeah yeah and then if you watch the Netflix show you're like I feel like they depicted what people from Missouri are like a little inaccurately, but I mean, there are some of those, some of those, you know, druggy heroin, whatever, those kinds of people. But you know where I'm from? It's, I feel like it's pretty normal and I kind of had a normal childhood as far as, you know, just growing up and going through school and graduating felt like it was pretty normal for me what were you drawn to as a kid like you know a lot of kids people talk about oh you know when I was a kid I I played this with my friends or I went and did this a lot like what did your childhood comprise of I did sports I was I think I did three or four different sports all the way through like grade school middle school junior high and then uh once I hit high school is where I really focused on soccer but I mean with uh like all my best friends growing up, we'd be in the elementary, you know, the peewee baseball leagues or whatever. I mean, that's my whole life. I feel like has been revolved around sports and, you know, all my friendships that I have today, I feel, I feel like I met them through a sport um, and we played sports together and uh, yeah. Did your parents ever like push you into like a, like a non-sports direction? Did they ever let you try like uh, music or anything? I was in band for um, sixth grade through, through when I graduated high school. And I was actually pretty decent saxophone player. I thought I might 
do that in college a little bit, never like major in it, but, you know, maybe being like a college band or something, but I, I was more into the, the sports aspects. So I mean, sports was my priority and then the band thing was second and uh, yeah. Did you do a lot of like traveling for, cause you said soccer was your main, your main sport eventually, but did you do like the travel sports circuit? Did you like train as like a young kid? Like what, what, what did that feel like? For you? I was in, I think fifth grade when I joined our uh, local traveling team. A lot of my friends were on the traveling team and they, uh, they had a spot open, I think through tryouts and I tried out and made the team. And so starting in fifth grade is kind of when I was practicing soccer, you know, maybe two or three times a week, uh, being in different leagues around Springfield, even like Kansas City leagues, we'd go up there on the weekends and play. And uh, yeah, just really hitting it hard at like fifth grade. That's kind of when I decided like I was the best at soccer. I still enjoyed playing like baseball, basketball. I even did one year of football and hated that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, that that was an experience. But uh, football, yes, football. I was. They stuck me out at cornerback, and I just kind of <laughs> hung out there on the edge and really didn't do anything. And I was like, "This is kind of boring." <laughs> Yo, I mean, and then and then with soccer, there's constant action too. What what was your favorite part about soccer? Maybe my favorite part is that. I played almost every position growing up. I think I, I started out kind of as a forward and then I got switched to goalie cause our goalie got hurt. And I, they kind of threw me back there as like an, ex, like a project and just kind of see how it went. And I, I actually did pretty well. And so for like two seasons, I was a goalie and trained goalie <clears throat> until I got hurt in a game. And then I just kind of, once I recovered and everything, I was just never quite the same. I didn't have the the fearless aspect you need as a goalie, like diving in at somebody's feet when they're coming at you full full speed. And so I, I went back to forward for a couple of years in like high school. And then I switched to center back uh, starting my sophomore year of high school all the way through senior year of college. Whoa. So you you like you know soccer kind of inside and out. You were put all over the field. <laughs> Do you feel like you would coach it pretty well if you got an opportunity to do that? I've I coached for four or five years. Oh wow. What what is that yeah. like? It's great. Um I would say that is I I refed and I coached because I wanted to give back to the game. And I did not like refing. I thought I would love refing and I did not like it. So then I was like, okay, let's see how this coaching goes. And I loved coaching. And um I'd coached high school for four, five years, I think, five years wow. of high school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, depending on the team you have around you, it's a little different. Like I've coached really, really good teams that don't need any fundamentals. And it's all a lot more like drills that I did in college and, you know, really complex drills. And then I've been around teams where you're like, okay, line up 10 yards from each other and you're going to touch the ball once and then you're going to pass it and then, yeah. then go to one touch passes. And, you know, it's coaching. I, I really liked it and playing all those positions that I definitely think helped me 
you know, become a good, what I thought was a good coach and like at least understanding the game and, you know, getting the most out of my players that I could. Something that I find interesting with coaching, because now I'm starting to dive into it a lot in disc golf the past few years is the concept of the challenge point. Like, like you just said, like you could, you could have a team and for some reason, this team just understands soccer on this higher level and you have to match that. Or, you know, if you try to push that technicality on a team of more simple minded players that maybe play by feel, you're not going to reach them. It's more mm-hmm. communication than it is just being a genius. And uh, yeah, you touched on that pretty well. So it sounds like you, you did have a pretty good success rate of like reading the team that you were coaching and like coming down to their level. Yeah. Uh, my first job out of college, I went to this new town up by Kansas city. They had an opening for a, a soccer position and I was, so I was like, heck yeah, I'll be the soccer coach. And uh, it was a lot different from like the level of soccer that I played in high school. And uh, so we, we had to dial it back. It was a lot lower level. Um, and so like I had to go in and I, I had no idea what the team was like. So I went in with these expectations, like, okay, they'll probably be about, you know, like the level that I played at, you know, pretty decent. And like, it was, it was just a little lower level. And that's just like, they, they didn't have like youth programs or anything growing up. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's no fault of their own. They're just, they want to be out there and play. And so I just had to, I had to learn. I think like we had 35 players to do uh, varsity and JV. And then, uh, yeah, you have to learn the players. And then, you know, some of them say, I want to play forward. And then like in your mind, you're like, no, you're probably more of a back. And then you got to convince <laughs> them to play back. And then you have to teach them how to play back. And <laughs> Strange. I mean, that's, that's probably a great experience for you understanding the game again on another level, like being able to um, just, just have to teach yourself at a certain point, you know, reteach yourself the fundamentals of the game. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I think that's invaluable experience just generally like reading people, you know, I I think that's Mm -hmm. an awesome experience. Yeah. And like, I even do that with my game in disc golf like because i i started when i was 21 and so i basically became like my own coach right away like Uh reading what i'm good at and then you know figuring out how do i practice the things that i'm not good at and yeah it definitely translates so you say you picked up disc golf at you said 21 yeah wow so our disc golf lives are totally different i started at 12 (laughs) And that was like my whole childhood, like leading up. Yeah. I've always been, I had a Frisbee in my hand since I was like 10, but for you, 21, that's kind of, uh, not eerie, but, but it's like, uh, how fitting that it's the age, right. When you get out of college. So you play soccer in college, right? So what was your college experience like? And talk to me about like, as you're getting close to the end of college, everybody's trying to figure out what their path is. Um, (laughs) what did that look like for you and again like when you stop playing soccer that's another beast of its own once the sport you've played your whole life ends that's another psychological toll so talk to me about that experience for sure um i i knew i wanted to play college soccer i had a couple d2 offers um and then i had an offer from a d3 school westminster college kind of it's like 20 minutes from mizzou right in the middle of missouri and uh, I went and toured the campus, uh, got a look at the soccer program, and decided that I wanted to go to that school versus any other any of the other 
division two schools. And uh, I, I feel like I made the right choice because we had a really successful four years and I loved everything about the college that I went to and uh, yeah, getting, you know, graduating and stopping soccer, like completely. Uh, I mean, it was like, a, you know, I played sports growing up and that was like the last time that I was like, man, this might be the final team sport, like organized in a league against meaningful competition that I, that I ever play. And was it, it was an emotional last game. Definitely. We, uh, it was an emotional like ending of our season. We, we had, I think 17 seniors or something. And, wow. uh, yeah, we, uh, when we came into the program as a losing program, they were like, I think the year before we went, I mean, we were like five and probably 20, like not a great team. And then, uh, they had this huge recruiting class of freshmen. And then every year we were just getting better and better and better. And then a senior year, we won our conference championship. And then we went to the, like the big 64 knockout bracket, kind of like March madness, just with soccer. And, uh, we actually won our first two games there, upsetting nationally ranked teams. And then uh, we get to our our Sweet 16 game, playing against the number three team in the nation. And then we ended up losing one to zero. And so, like, I mean, it was a great run. I mean, we exceeded expectations. And, you know, everybody was super proud of what we did. But, but I mean, definitely emotional. Yeah, I mean, it's done. And, and uh I think that in the world of psychology, there is like an actual phrase in like the American like psych- psychological journal. I don't, I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's the term is like post-athletic depression. <laughs> and I know I, quite a few athletes that have experienced that because you're training, people are telling you what to do, where to go, you know, what to train. And then it ends mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, I have this entire life now to live. Did you, did that kind of hit you a little bit? I mean, for sure. Um, you know, we spend probably six days a week with the group of, you know, 25 to 28 team members. And then uh, once it's done, you kind of go your own separate ways as far as like people are in frats, people of different classes. And uh, yeah, I mean, you don't see them as much. And it definitely, definitely hit kind of hard. And I, I, I still miss playing organized soccer to this day very much academically in college, you know, everyone's not, everyone's going to say, I, I'm going to go through college and be a professional disc golfer. When you were going through college playing soccer, I mean, you're obviously there to study, you know, what, what did that look like for you? And were you starting to already plan a career for yourself? Yeah. I, uh, in, in high school, I kind of knew that I wanted to be a teacher and then also a coach. And so going to Westminster, they obviously had an education program and they had coaching minors. And so that's exactly what I did. I got an education degree with a focus in health and uh, physical education. And then I got a coaching minor along the way. And yeah, once I graduated with that, that was my, that was my vision was to get, you know, some kind of teaching job and coaching soccer and, um, I didn't get the teaching job right away out of, out of college. I was a paraprofessional, uh, working with, you know, special needs students. And, uh, but I got the coaching job right away 
And so, I mean, that was my vision was to work in a school and to, you know, coach a team. And I got my foot in the door to school, uh, that school up by Kansas City. And I was there for two years. I mean, that's that was my goal. And that's what I was doing. And so I I really wasn't ever thinking like pro disc golf player. You know, <laughs> no, I was of course not. I was I was just, you know, doing my teaching stuff and playing disc golf after schools and on the weekends. Yeah. So disc golf came into your life at 21 and I'm guessing it may improve me if I'm wrong. I'm guessing it was to try to fill the gap that soccer kind of left. Yeah. Um, I, there was a little overlap of disc golf and soccer, but I think once the soccer ended is kind of when I really like hit disc golf hard because it was, it was like a fun way to challenge myself and to, uh, you know, get that competitive feeling back. And so, yeah, I, I hit it hard right when, uh, right when soccer ended and, you know, being a teacher, you get all the, the weekends and stuff free and you're, you know, you're done with school and coaching by like 5 PM at the latest. So I'd go catch some, some evening rounds and you get all the summers off. And so that's always the, the right time to play disc golf. And that's kind of when disc golf really took the jump for me. I see. And, and, and so you said overlap. Did you just find it in college playing with your buddies? Is that how you like picked up a disc for the first time? My brother took my dad and I and my f- best friend since kindergarten. We all went out on Thanksgiving uh, one day and played disc golf because my brother had discovered it. He was always into like the, the different kind of activities like disc golf and rock climbing and slack lining and all the, all the cooler stuff. And, uh, but yeah, he took us out and I mean, it's just kind of history from there. I, I didn't like it at first cause I sucked. <laughs> yeah, of course. And you're, you're like a really <laughs> solid athlete too, you know, <laughs> exactly. You want to be, you want to be good right away and not being good. It was very frustrating. Cause I was watching my brother throw the disc, you know, maybe 250 feet, which at the time I was like, Oh my gosh. And then I was throwing it like a hundred feet and it was just going way left. <laughs> Yeah, you probably have like the fast driver in your hand. Like, what is what is this? Exactly. That's. I think that's how everybody starts. <laughs> yeah. For I mean, definitely. And so you, you find this game, and naturally, your main sport goes away, and now you're seeking more challenges, and you start playing more disc golf. And the teacher schedule is perfect for someone who has like a recreational sport they want to yes. play. When did you start getting good? Like, what clicked for you? Like, when you wanted to like take it to the next level? What happened? Um, so I played for two years. I played, okay. For the first year, if we start with like when my brother first took me out and then fast forward, like a year, I was playing maybe like once a week, um, maybe slowly progressing. And then I would say year two, I played it a lot more. And I, I kind of noticed myself getting, getting pretty good. And like, you know, the course, my local course is, uh, it's pretty popular. And so there's a lot of other players out there and, you know, people would see me throw and they're like, wow, you can, you can throw it that far. And I was just like, yeah, I'm just throwing. I don't know. Like, I didn't know if it was good or not. I'm just throwing. Um, and then somebody's like, Hey, you should try this tournament coming up in Springfield. I was just like tournament. I was like, okay, whatever. I'll try it. And so I, uh, I played intermediate at this, you know, this local tournament, and uh, I won intermediate, my very first tournament. Nice. So, 
So I was like, okay, that's kind of fun. And, you know, you get like 150 bucks in funny money and you're like, dang, like, let's go. got more discs. I'm ready to play. And uh, I think I played two intermediate tournaments in my career, moved up to advanced, played like five advanced tournaments and won a couple. And then I was like, okay, let's, uh, let's move up to the open. And then, uh, yeah, I, I didn't win open for a little bit, but I was like, you know, making a little money with cashing. I was like, this is kind of cool. Yeah. And, uh, and so then when I, when I moved to Kansas city and started playing tournaments up there, there's a lot better courses up in Kansas city compared to where I'm from, you know, and some good competition and like some B tiers with added money. And, uh, I, I remember I played, it was an ice bowl event and probably 2015 or 16. And, uh, I got second place and I won, it was like 380 bucks. Nice. I was like, I was like, holy crap, 380 bucks in a day. I'm like, I'm like, I in one day. I, I'm like where I work, I work for an entire month and make, you know, obviously more than that, but you're like. You're like, holy crap, like this is a pretty decent chunk of what I make in a month. And so not, like not 380 a day, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. And so I was like, holy cow, like, let's see how good I can get. Like, let's try to win some, you know, get good and win some money. So what happened? And, uh, so, so what is that process for you? Did you carry over the training that you put into soccer, like into disc golf? Like, how did you get good? And like, what were the first things that started making your skill set or your execution better? I think the first thing that got me good was those two years that I played, you know, weekly. And then the second year I I really got into it. And so it was just a lot of reps. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, seriously, just throwing. And like, I had, I had no idea that I was, I don't want to say like, a great player, a good player, but like, you know, I won my first intermediate tournament against people that have played, you know, many tournaments. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I, I must be doing something right if I'm winning a tournament. And then, uh, my practice routine, once I was up in near Kansas city and like, okay, let's start like doing some drills and stuff. I would go out to, there was a lighted turf field at the college that I lived by. And uh, I would go out there probably four times a week um, just throwing shots. And it was always empty at like nine o'clock at night. I would go out there, bring my whole bag. And uh, they had, you know, a football length turf field. And then they had tennis courts behind it. And it was always a challenge for me to throw it over the tennis courts, over the tennis court fences and get it in the tennis court. Like that was probably like a 400 and... 25 foot drive from the other end of the turf and that was kind of my my goal every time I'd go out there I'd try to get them over that and into the into the tennis court fences so pure distance you were just in the beginning you were focused on distance or what, what were those structures well I mean like that time it's not that really wasn't the beginning the beginning was the were those first two years and then once I like started training I mean that was probably you know my third or fourth year of playing disc golf where I'm like, okay, let's try to get some distance and uh, try to be accurate with it. And so, yeah, I mean, that's what I did. I would go out and I was, I was trying to get, to get them on hyzers, like just strictly throw hyzers so into speed. it. Yeah, speed. And then really dialing in my form too. Yeah. Um, 
I think is important being out there. They, they would have soccer goals and I would, you know, maybe stand half a field away and then chuck them, you know, basically at the soccer goals, Mm -hmm. scoring goals with the discs. So, yeah, I mean, I did a bunch of things out there, but, uh, yeah, I really think going to those, going to that field three or four times a, a week for the two years that I live there, that's kind of where like I probably developed the most and really fine tuning everything about disc golf. Something that I, you know, as I teach more lessons, the, it, there's something to just the process of self discovery that can sometimes be even more powerful than training form constantly you it sounds like you had a healthy mix of both but even just sitting with um a camera on you and just watching your body position and just saying okay mm-hmm. do this better do this better do this better and and did you watch a lot of video of good throwers while you were trying to get good or was it pure just what feels good for you i i had my own style the first couple of years i I go back and watch a video that I have on YouTube of me throwing like this 600 foot shot down a hill. And like, I have no follow through. I basically like throw the disc and then like prevent my body from, from following through the shot. I'm just like, what the heck? Yeah. I'm like, like that looks so weird and ugly. Um, but I mean, it was working for me at the time. Yeah. But then, uh, but I don't think the accuracy was there. And so Mm -hmm. that's, I, I definitely, when I was teaching, um, you know, we, you get some downtime as a teacher and I was definitely cruising on, on the YouTube finding, you know, form videos. And just, I think I would watch every single Jomez and central coast video coming out and, you know, just watching people throw, I think helps too. Were there some players that you tried to mimic the style of at all? Like in particular, uh, I can't, I can't think of any that I would try to mimic. I mean, I, I always would like watching all Macbeth, Nico, cause he was from St. Louis. Um, I liked watching kale. Oh yeah. Cause I didn't really, I didn't have any forehand back then. Um, so yeah, I, I would watch kale and watch his, uh, buttery turnovers and stuff. And sweet. So, I mean, yeah. so then moving forward, like you obviously get good. I'm, I'm looking at your stats. Like, you got good quick and you moved into open and started playing a bunch of tournaments very quickly. Um, when in your head did this start to feel like, okay, how much money are people making at this and how much money can I make at this? When, when did that start happening for you? Um, I would say, when did I get sponsored by full turn? I, I had a local company, full turn discs, that was ran by a guy out of spring or out of Branson, Missouri. And, uh, he hit me up at the beginning of 2017. I want to say it was just like, Hey, I'm looking to grow my full turn brand. Uh, he's like, you're a local player. I was probably like nine ninety at the time. He's like, you're a local player. Uh, do you want to be sponsored? And, I was just like, yeah, like, you know, we can talk about what that looks like. Cause I, I think I had approached like prodigy and maybe discraft about being sponsored. And they're like, yeah, we'll sponsor you. We'll give you like 20 discs. And like, that just had no, 
I, I had no interest in pre in plastic. I was just like, no, like, I was just like, no, thanks. Um, and so when Jason Smith was his name, uh, the owner at the time of full turn, he messaged me, he said, Hey, you want to be sponsored? I said, sure. Hit me up with whatever, you know, you want to offer. And so he offered to pay eight tiers and above. Nice. Which I mean, right there, I was like, Very okay, nice. like I don't even need to read the rest. Like that's going to save me so much money. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't really remember. I mean, there was like a performance bonus structure and, but I mean, I think it was the next day I'm like, let's do it. And, uh, so that was early 2017. And then when, when I got that offered that he would pay for eight tiers and above, I was like, okay, after the end of this school season. So in May, I was like, I'm going to do a mini tour starting, you know, into May through, you know, July. And then if I have success, I'm going to quit teaching and I'm going to pursue this. And so that's exactly what I did. I, uh, you know, finished the school year out. I actually had a buddy, Jeff Renner, who toured for, he toured for a little bit in like 2017, 2018, but uh, we, we jumped in his van and we played, we had a five or six week uh, tour planned out, like hitting, I think it was Majestic. Uh, What's the one in Manitowoc? Silver Cup? Silver Cup, yep. Silver Cup. We played CCR, then maybe D-Glo, then Idlewild or something. It was kind of like a... You said 2017? I want to... Yeah. We so started you went with Majestic. Majestic, Silver Cup, CCR, and then you went to Brent Hambrick. Okay. And then Ledgestone, Idlewild. Holy cow, you went big time right away. Idlewild, P, uh, Pittsburgh Flying Disc Open, Vibram okay. Open. Man, you went, you were rolling. Okay, so yeah, I, I remember that. Um, so I, what I get in Ledged on that year? Do you have it pulled up? Was it like yeah, 14 or a, something? No, you got 11th. You made 1600 bucks. Okay, what, what was the date on that? Was that like August 3rd early August 6th? Okay, so I think that was the point where I'm like, I'm quitting teaching. I was like, I just made $1,400 playing a tournament. I will not make $1,400 in a, where I'm working at in a month. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I think we did that five, that five week with Majestic all the way through Ledgestone. Uh, I had that moment where I was like, quitting teaching, I'm doing this. I went into the school and this was probably a week and a half or two weeks before students reported. Sat down with the new principal. I was just like, hey. Um, I told the old principal at the end of last year that I was going to try this out. And if it worked out, I was going to quit. If it didn't work out, I'd be back. And I'm letting you know that I'm going to quit. Wow. And, uh, he's like, wait, you mean for this year in like two weeks? I was like, yep, you're not going to see me. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, that was the end of it. That's, I walked in and just said, Hey, I'm, uh, this is what I'm doing, and sorry I'm not coming back. Thanks for letting me work here, but uh, I'm going to go pursue pursue what I'm really passionate about. Oh, my gosh, dude. That, did you walk out of that school just beaming, or were you nervous? Uh, I wasn't nervous because I had told them prior that I was potentially going to leave, but then it was a new principal, yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. I, which I wasn't planning on, so I was like, well, we'll see how this guy takes it. You know, and I don't think he was that mad. I think, you know, I told him what my plan was. And I think if I remember, he was pretty happy that 
I was going to go pursue something that I really, really wanted to do. But yeah, right after that, that's like I said, I went, or like you said, I went to Idlewild and like MVP open Pittsburgh. I just hit them all throughout the end of that year. And dude, you like, you were on tour, you know, for the first time and you go to the GMC, which you historically just shred these courses. I, whatever. Yeah. I remember GMC is like, knock on wood, my, my place. I've had some of my best finishes there. I got seventh there. I got like 11th at Worlds, and then I got third this last year there. Like, Dang. I love GNC. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's my two favorite, some of my favorite courses to play disc golf on in the entire country. I love yeah, those I love places. Them. What do you like better, Fox Run or Brewster? I think I like Fox better as a course, but I know I definitely play Brewster better because the mid-range game, I feel like, is is my strong set, my strong suit, and you can just lace mid-ranges all over Brewster. I feel like that's the golf that I'm the best at. Yeah. Just can I've commentated on numerous rounds that you've played in. And and what I like about your game is that you are just straight up golfing. (laughs) You are playing for score. You're not playing the game that all the other players, you know, a lot of times when you find yourself on chase card, which I commentate on, you find yourself with some bombers, you know, serious, Mm -hmm. huge golf bombers and you can throw far, but you you just pulling your drone out when other players are trying to crush you know shots. I think that's that's why you shoot so well at these courses. For sure, I definitely stick to my strong suit, which you know my my old drone sitting on the wall right in front of me. You know I could throw that thing four hundred feet dead straight, and uh, I mean that is my style of throw too. It's just like flat mid range throwing, and then. Yeah, that's that's just kind of how I developed. I never really was like a 550 foot thrower. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I've definitely even probably lost a little bit of distance since, you know, maybe 2015, 2016. But I'm fine with that because I know that I have gained so much more accuracy. Definitely. And I'm to- totally cool with being 50 feet less than somebody that can throw farther to me and being right where I want to be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So then you finish the season off and that, that's a great finish to the season. You know, you finish with a seventh place finish at GMC. You have a rough start at USDGC, but that is, that's a tough course to see for the first time. So is that where I, um, is that where I DNF that year? Oh, I'm okay. Sure. So let's take a look. So, so yes, yeah, this is 99th. Oh, so you did DNF. What happened? Uh, so I threw out my back the week before drove to USDGC, not even knowing if I was going to play, but obviously if you get into USDGC, I mean, it's such an honor and a privilege. And so you're like, yeah, I'm going to go. So I got, I think it was like half a practice round because I was trying not to throw my back out. It was feeling better, but I was just like barely throwing out there really just like walking the course. And, uh, but tournament day, my back felt good. And I played and I I remember shooting like a poor round the first day, but I was like, okay, that's fine. Like not much practice, you know, low expectations. And then, uh, the middle of the night, I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to like say too much, but my finger in the middle of the night gets sliced open just oh my right gosh. on the knuckle, right on the knuckle of my throwing pointer finger. And, uh, I was like, I was like, oh, that sucks. And so like, 
I it was bleeding and so I just kind of like washed off the blood and like put a band-aid on it and didn't really think much about it and then uh the next day I remember pulling the band-aid off and like bending my finger and it was like incredibly deep oh my gosh and I was like oh man like that is not good whoa and so when I got to the course I found the trainer that they had on staff I was just like hey what can we do about this he's like that needs stitches no I was like I was like, well, I'm going to play. So what can you do? He's like, so he's like, here's what I can do. I'll put a, a knuckle bandage on it and uh, we'll see what happens. And so I put this knuckle bandage on and I remember I, I couldn't use my pointer finger throwing. And so I, I basically would put my other three fingers under the rim and have my pointer finger straight out. And I was throwing with three fingers. And I shot better that round than I did my first round. Really? Yeah. And I can't remember if I, I think I DNF the third round, if I remember right. But it was whole, I remember it was whole 11. And right when I threw on my upshot, I felt like something in my finger like pop. And I looked down and it's just like blood's just dripping out of the bandaid. Oh no. And I was just like, well, okay, that's probably not good. And like I I had such a bad first round and like not a very good second round that I, I knew I wasn't going to cash. Yeah, what's the point? But I but I I didn't want to drop out because that was like I definitely am somebody who was raised to like see something out all the way to the end, you know, play until you can't play anymore. But uh you know, once that happened, like I played two more holes and it was just bad. And so I, I DNF'd um, two holes later. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that was that tournament experience. <laughs> that's, that's a real bummer, man. After like this pretty sweet stretch you had going too, you just came off seventh at GMC going straight into USDGC. Um, but man, I mean, you go into that off season and like the world's, you know, wide open for you at that point. Um, for sure. I mean, what, what was that first, the very first off season that you got to have, like, like what lessons did you learn from that first little tour and what did you pull into that first off season? The off season, I remember I, I worked a, a winter job, like a seasonal job. Um, cause I mean, I wasn't making enough money at the time to really, you know, have the off season like players do now, or you just can kind of take some time off and do some training and lessons. Um, so, I mean, like, it's cold in Missouri during the winter, so I don't think I really played much. Um, but then I definitely knew that I was going to hit the full-time tour again for 2018. And I was on full turn again for that year. And uh, I, I definitely learned that last, or that, I guess, the half season that I played at the end of the year, I was like, this is what, I want to do like I'm having so much fun and at the time I'm like I don't really know how long it's going to be when I'm on tour like my ability and the money like because at that time you know you're not making a whole lot of money but it's enough to like just keep doing it so I'm like while I'm young and single and I have this opportunity this is what I'm going to do that's awesome I, yep. I want to, I want to make sure that the, the listeners know this. Cause I believe you said Jeff Renner. I love yeah. Jeff Renner. Dude, Jeff's awesome. <laughs> were you in his, were you in the blue van that he had? 
Oh yeah. Can you tell the listeners what you guys were touring in? This thing is awesome. Okay. Um, <laughs> I I think he said he bought this van for eight hundred dollars from some guy in Branson. It was definitely a fixer upper. Um, but Jeff's just like, "Yo, I got this van. We're gonna tour in it." I was just like, "Okay, sounds good to me." And so uh, he he spent a little time fixing it up, and I. I guess I didn't know at the time, but I guess Jeff is pretty handy with vehicles. And so like he put on, you know, like a, a battery and like a generator and he like really worked on the ex- the exterior. I guess there's a lot of rust and everything. What kind of but he, was it again? What was it again? It was like, uh, it was like a Dodge. I mean, honestly, it was like a, the creepy white van you see driving through a neighborhood. I mean, one of those vans uh but he i remember he actually sprayed it so instead of white it's now a baby blue sprayed on exterior what people use for like bed liners of their truck oh my god that's the whole thing covering the van and i you would not believe how many compliments it gets at a gas station i bet i lo- <laughs> i love that van and if you're a patreon supporter i'm going to get you a picture of that van cuz it's it, it is incredible and so yeah he he had a tub on top of the van that had a generator in it and then he also had like a turtle shell for extra storage on top and then he had like a bed and a closet and I don't think he he might have had like a you know a makeshift sink or of some kind, but really there wasn't there wasn't much room in it. And uh, when when we traveled together in that, I think there was only one tournament where we weren't able to find somebody to stay with. There was for the CCR. I remember we had a campground with James Conrad, Lance Brown, Calvin Heimberg, Jeff, and I. And we, uh, that was the only tournament that Jeff and I ever both slept in the van together. I slept basically on the floor. <laughs> I would, I would put my air mattress in the middle and then pump it up, but it wasn't wide enough for the air mattress to fully like fill up. And so it would just, I would fill it up until it hit the sides. And then I'd basically sleep just right down the center of the van. And then Jeff would sleep on his little elevated bed. And, uh, I mean, it was definitely tight. And, wow! Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, it's not that big. It's not like the big no. ProMasters and and Ford Transits. It is like a no. regular van. Yeah, can't stand in it. Can't. Uh, yeah, there's no. He wait. He did have an air conditioner. He had. He made an air conditioner. He drilled a hole in the side of his van, and had this like floor home air conditioner wow. that he that he installed and had this vent coming out the side of his van. And if we didn't have that, that would have like really sucked. Cause we would, we would run the generator a little bit at night and get some AC in there. So it wasn't terrible, but uh, yeah, man, <laughs> sleeping in that thing and traveling in that thing. I mean, I guess that's like any disc golfer who's like, all right, I'm going to go out for the first time in my Prius, in my van exactly. or anything. I guess that's kind of like the lifestyle that you picture a brand new disc golfer who's gonna you know go out there and try to make it my favorite one was luke (laughs) sampson uh luke sampson his first year on tour he's like six four 
Luke's a big kid. Yeah, Luke's big. He's taller than me. He had, he had, his first year on tour was a Toyota Echo. And oh, my he, God. He took – he did what – kind of what Ezra did, but even funnier. He took the passenger seat out and made it to where his head – he slept long ways. His feet were by where the passenger seat was, and his head was underneath the trunk. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's how he toured. And he's – I mean, he upgraded to the minivan, but – it's like almost like a rite of passage, you know, to, yeah. to, to begin the tour. It's like, oh, you're staying in hotels every day your first year on tour. All right, princess, <laughs> you know, but yep. oh, that's so funny, man. But I, obviously it worked out for you, you know, and, and as you've moved forward, you've had continually more success. And uh, I, you know, you get signed by Discraft now, you get the signature drone to start your, you know, your tour out with. Um, I mean, obviously touring in the blue van has paid off for you. Um, what was it like as your kind of career progressed over the past, you know, few years? Um, what have you, what have you learned and, and what big successes do you feel like you've had? So I, I think the most important thing that I learned is that, um, that this is something that I want to do for as long as I can do it before it was just like, I'll give it a couple of years because I am single and unattached and don't have any kids. And, you know, I was like, I'll do it for a couple of years for fun. And uh, but like the way the sport has progressed and everything, I mean, it's something that I feel like I can genuinely make a career out of. And it's something that I want to make a career out of. And I feel like I can. And that's what I'm that's what I'm working towards. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, you. <laughs> You are still such a road warrior. I look at your, even this year's, uh, you know, you, not many players these days are like still grinding B tiers the way you are. Like you've had some crazy long treks after like playing a B tier one day, or you play a tournament and somehow catch the next B tier. Like you're still doing that. Like, have you ever gotten burnt out when it comes to competition like this? Like I would, there are times that I feel burnt out hundred percent where I'm like, God, I don't want to play. But then I think about what my, my alternative is. And I was like, I can go back teaching school or I can find another job somewhere. I'm like, no, this golf is a lot better than those. Even if I feel a little burnt yes. out, but no, like this year, ever since. So if you take the week before the Vegas tournament, so that's like Valentine's day, roughly from there until now, early November, I have not played a disc golf tournament one weekend. There's been there's been one weekend that I took off. Seriously? Yep. You're a sicko. What? Let me see. You're like this is like Brian Schweberger level of grinding. 37. So many players are paring down the amount of tournaments they're playing. Like, you know, a lot of the really solid players are playing like 20 to 25. Yeah. It, it used to and, be standard though to be 30 to 40 tournaments for sure i i just like playing honestly i mean that's that's the simple bottom line answer is like i like competing and playing in tournaments and winning money and yeah. so i mean sure. honestly that's what it is and so i'm lucky enough that uh there's a guy named russ burns in springfield missouri who runs a lot of local b tiers and so when i have that off weekend between like Des Moines and Idlewild, I feel like since I live in the center of the country, I can drive home, play that B tier, and I 
in addition, I get to spend, you know, seven, eight days at home. And so, uh, wow. yeah, I, I am grinding and which, I mean, it's my choice and that's what I want to do. It's not like people are telling me I have to play. It's not like this craft's like you need to play more tournaments. It's what I want to do. Exactly. And, uh, and like, even this year, I don't know of another touring player who would drive 13 hours after they get eliminated from the pro tour finale and then go play an a tier in st louis oh my god that was i so yeah a little bit on that because it's a kind of a funny story um i had planned chris i was with chris clemens and we said hey if we get if we both get eliminated we're going to drive through the night we're going to play this a tier in st louis Chris like, oh, okay, whatever. But Chris, <laughs> Chris, Chris advanced and I was eliminated. I was like, crap, like I wanted to play this A tier. But then Chris like, hey man, like if you just want to go, he's like, I'll just fly home. I was like, let's do it. I was like, I started, I got on the road at eight o'clock PM from Charlotte. And I drove from eight to, it was about, 1 a.m. I think I got to Nashville, stayed in Nashville, slept for like five hours, left at six or six thirty, drove to St. Louis, and I got to St. Louis 30 minutes before my 12:45 tea time. <laughs> no way, really? Yep. Well, and then I won, and then I won the A tier, so <laughs> it was worth it. That's insane! You beat Paul Oman by one stroke. Yep. Oh Played. my gosh. I played two of the three courses blind and then yeah, that third course, Paul and I battled. It's like a pretty tough course. And yeah, I mean, I'd like the whole time. I was just like, make it worth the trip. Like got to play good. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's a good mindset. It probably, it's like ropes are off now. Like you, you have to tighten yep. up the focus because it's not like your warm up is going to get you any success. The, you know, exactly. Um, dude, that is so yeah that's, that's a testament that's a real yeah man testament. that's uh i mean that's that's just kind of like who i am at this point like i like playing so much that i'm you know i'm willing to sacrifice things like that where i'm you know i was dead tired and didn't want to drive i remember driving through the smoky mountains it's like 10 30 at night just going through the mountains i'm just like why am i doing this like this is so <laughs> stupid i still have like nine hours to go but I, yeah just you know you just grind through it and it it actually went not near as bad as i thought it was going to be um mm. yeah that's uh i have a question for you i have a question for you here because of how much you like playing tournaments what would given that you know the 40 percent cash line is still a thing what would last cash have to be at the pro tours for you to simply just play the pro tours? This is just a straight up, just random opinion question. Um, if I was making at last cash, yeah, what is last cash got to be? So I would say last cash would have to be for me probably like a thousand bucks. Yeah, last cash is about a thousand dollars. Yeah. You shoot like and, 10, 15 to 10, 20 golf and you make a thousand bucks. But it's not so much about like I need the money, so I'm going to play. 
Um, it's more like, okay, I played Ledgestone. Now we have two weeks before we got to be at Idlewild. Okay, I'll go home. Oh, I got this B tier that's 10 minutes from me. Why would I not play that? Yeah. You know, I'll be done at six o'clock and I'll, if I win, I'll make 400 bucks plus bonuses. Like, why would I, why would I not play it? So, so you're less about like just the winning. You're less less about just winning, but you just want the volume of tournaments to be high because that's what you like doing. Essentially. Yeah, it's what I it's what I like doing, and I have I have so many available to me from where I live. Oh. Even like St. Louis and Kansas City, both of them are only two and a half to three hour drives, and they have events all the time. Mm-hmm. And so even if I'm not playing in like my actual hometown, I feel like I can still you know, go home for a couple of days, drive up on a Friday night and play a St. Louis tournament or a Kansas yeah. city tournament the next day. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not about like the money where I'm like, gosh, I'm hurting. I need to go exactly go home and, you know, try to win this B tier. It's just like, it's right there. And why would I not? <laughs> yeah. What, what else are you going to do? Yeah. I understand. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. And honestly, the one weekend that I didn't play, all my friends were in town because I forget what the occasion was, but I mean, all my high school buddies, we hadn't seen each other in a while hung out. I mean, it was a super fun weekend, but then like, I was like, man, I kind of like want to play. We actually yeah. even played. we all played disc golf that weekend, but it just wasn't a tournament. Yeah. <laughs> I see. That gives me so much insight into me looking at your PGA and being like, he doesn't look like he's strapped for cash. And like for a lot of people, that just seems like a lot of strain on the body, you know, 37 tournaments, but it sounds like you're doing great. And it sounds like this is exactly what you want to be doing with your life. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. It, I've, I'm definitely very, very uh, blessed. I feel and very excited for, you know, how I've, I'm very excited that I've, you know, work this hard to have this opportunity and, yeah. you know, be a part of the way that disc golf is growing and be a part of the pro tour and be one of the players who, you know, are, are making it out there. I feel like I have one more question for you um, as we wrap this up and I appreciate you even just sharing your story. Uh, even if it's just on your gaming headset, I appreciate you, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. helping helping tell your story. Cause I believe, like you said, like the stories of staying in the baby blue van, they're not going to be as prevalent in the future. So I, yeah, I, I like don't think so. Capturing these as we talk about the money, um, let's jump to, you know, there's disc golf, there's golf and there's, there's disc. Let's go to the disc side. When it comes to all of your co-competitors, the people that you have to compete against week in, week out, week out, I asked this question to a few people I have on my show, but after all this time being on the road, playing against the best players and the best courses, what shot shape thrown by what player blows your mind the most? Eagle McMahon's Heiser. That's it. Yep. And uh, I, I think it was a week ago that Gatekeeper Media posted something on their Facebook or Instagram. They're like, uh, what shot made your jaw drop? something like that and i commented i said eagle mcmahon's second shot on hole 14 first round at ledgestone and if you know that hole it's the one right after the par five where you go over the water like three times so it's the next one the long par four. Oh yeah and like and like he hits a tree on the right and he's like 585 feet away 
and he just throws like a spike hyzer over the water and puts it in circle and i just could not believe my eyes what he just did it with comes the disc. out so fast like when you he he to me from a biomechanic standpoint throws the hyzer cleaner than anyone i've ever seen in my life and he has so much length and he somehow has his entire body working in sync to make that disc come out. He, he, I mean, he throws well over 80 miles an hour. Yeah. And like that one. And then there's also a shot of Jonesboro on hole number nine. Yes. Where he throws the hyzer. And like when he lined it up, I was like, no way. Like, no way he's about to do this. And he, and he did. And I'm just like, I couldn't like those two shots are just like in my brain and i i couldn't tell you like another person's shot from any particular tournament like those two just i got mind blown jaw dropped and uh it's awesome that's like it makes the job exciting it makes the job even more exciting when you can be present obviously you're zoned in trying to win the tournament but it's always mm-hmm. nice to be snapped out of that zone and to just be yeah. like, oh my gosh, yeah. like our just... sport is cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's funny though, I've interviewed multiple people and Eagle has been, and I've, inter- I've uh, multiple people and I've asked them this question and Eagles come out, come up like three or four different times, all for different shots. You said Eagle hmm. McMahon's Heiser, Simon said Eagle McMahon's distance, uh, Seppo said Eagle McMahon's sidearm. It's like he's a good player. He's got the whole package. From a shot making standpoint, he's insane. You know, there's players that can beat him. You know, but it's from a physical, like you know, technique standpoint, it's pretty incredible. But it's awesome to even just watch the game evolve over time to where we can talk about the game like this. You know, we have equipment that can go 700 feet. It's it's insane for sure. So yeah, man, I I'm excited to be a part of this growth as well and. Um, it's not going to slow down anytime soon. So, um, I'm glad that you're a part of it too, man. I think you add a very awesome, uh, authentic style to the game. I love the way you approach the game. I love the way you play it. Um, and I, I wish you the best of luck next season. And, um, do you have any final words for, for the listeners? Uh, thanks for having me on your podcast and, uh, give me a follow on Instagram, prez17. And uh, go check out a crystal drone on the Ledgestone website that just dropped about a week ago. The Flight Diary is edited by Nick Soave, music by Johnny Darge. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast on your listening platform of choice, please do so. And while you're at it, don't hesitate to leave me a review and let me know how I'm doing. I will have another episode out to you in a couple of weeks, so I will see you then. Thanks for listening.